Um, we are continuing the series that we've been in, in the book of James, that we have been calling Genuine Faith. And we've been in this series for actually a while now, longer than I thought, for seven weeks, which is really cool. We've been walking through all of these different things in the book of James. Last week, we took a break for Pentecost Sunday. How great was Pentecost Sunday? Wasn't it wonderful? just that time to worship and celebrate the gift of the Holy Spirit with one another. Um, it was a special time, but this week we're diving back into the book of James, learning about genuine faith, faith that is real, that is from a relationship with God that is true and authentic and that represents the work that he's done in our lives. And James, he takes us through some really heavy topics of when we don't exactly want to live out a genuine faith. Maybe when trials come or opposition comes or, or things are hard for us or we don't always wanna be our most kind and genuine and loving self, James teaches us how we can have genuine faith when we're trying to live through all of these different things that all of us walk through all the time, right? So let's continue that journey this morning. Um, as we, as we started, I have a story for you all. My husband and my daughter, they have this really special bond. He is the stay-at-home parent in our family, and they are just best buddies. He is her comfort place. He is her cuddle buddy. He is her favorite person to go on adventures with and to play with. And um, last weekend for Memorial Day weekend, we were at a friend's lake house all weekend. And several times we were invited to go out on the boat and go out on the lake. And we asked our daughter, she's three, if she wanted to go out on the boat too. And she was so excited. She was like, it goes on the water? We are like, yes. And she's like, no, 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 but like, it goes on the water. And we are like, yes, it does. Like, it actually takes you out into the water. And she was so excited about this because she loves water. She loves the beach. She was so excited to experience it. Here's a picture of her actually looking just, she's the one on the right. In her little life jacket, just happy as a clam, so excited, ready to go out on the water. And not literally two minutes later, when the boat actually starts to take off, this is what we have. Her buried into my husband's chest, terrified of actually experiencing what it's like to go on the water. And she went out a second time. We were very proud of her. She was very brave. She looked like this most of the second trip too. And then when we, it came time to go out on a third trip, she said, no, I am not going back out on that boat. And we were like, but you'll have fun. And look, all of your friends are going. And so when she saw that her friends were going, she was like, okay, I wanna go, I wanna go. So we got all dressed. We got the sunscreen on, we got the swimsuits on, we packed our bag of snacks, we had everything ready to go. We, like, she is in my arms. I'm about to pass her to the other grown-up on the boat so that she can get in. And she says, no, I am not doing this. I'm not going back in this boat. I'm not having it. And we asked her, why? Why don't you want to go back on the boat? And she said, it goes too fast. I don't like when it goes fast. And no matter how much we tried to reassure her that the life jacket would keep her safe, that her dad would keep her safe, that I would keep her safe, that we would never let anything happen to her. And in fact, not only would she be safe, but she would have fun. She did not believe us. Something was holding her back from stepping back out into that boat. I'm not going to lie to y'all. This is us trying to live out genuine faith in 2023 when life is hard and things get rough. If we all are in a relationship with God, I truly believe for those of you that are in this room who have accepted the gift of salvation, you're in a relationship with the Lord, you wanna go out on that boat. You wanna be in the water. You wanna be doing the things that God has called you to. But maybe you tried it once and you're like, that boat goes fast. 
I'm not doing that again, Lord. Like, I don't care what you say. You cannot get me to go back out there. So this dock is nice. I've, you know, seen the water. I know what the water's like. I'm fine with the concept of the water. I'll tell anyone you ask about the water, but I'm not doing the thing to get back on the water. That is how we experience trying to live out this faith. And today we're gonna dive into James chapter two, the second half of James chapter two, starting in verse 14, which is interestingly, one of the most historically controversial passages of scripture because, and it almost caused the book of James to be completely removed from the New Testament because it's so controversial. So that's what I get to talk to y'all about this morning. One of the most controversial passages of scripture in the whole Bible. But what's so cool about this passage of scripture is it's controversial because it has to be wrestled with. It has to be taken by both hands and we have to say, Lord, what are you trying to do in and through us with this passage of scripture? So what we actually get to do is we get to wrestle together this morning with this beautiful um, work from James and we get to learn how to live out our faith in a more genuine and real way. So first, I just wanna pray for us because if this is one of the most controversial passages in the Bible, I think we should pray about it first, am I right? Um, Father, thank you so much for this beautiful morning. Thank you for each and every person that's in this room, every person that desires a relationship with you, who desires to live out their faith in a genuine way so that they can see your kingdom come and your transformation come on this earth. Lord, just speak to each of us this morning. Just share a message that just connects with our heart, Lord, so that we can do the work that you've called us to. Amen. Awesome. So let's dive into James chapter two together. We're gonna start with verse 14, which is up on the screen here. And it says... What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works, can such a faith save him? And right from the start, we have three really big concepts at play here. We have faith, we have works, and we have salvation. And right off the bat, that is some very heavy stuff that we have to wrestle with. Three of the biggest, heaviest subjects in the Bible what is salvation? How do, like, what is faith? What are works? And how do all of these things work together? And this is what makes this passage of scripture so controversial. But I also think it is the thing that is going to speak to us and show us how we can live out this genuine faith. So I feel like we can't move forward until we talk about each of these three things because they're going to help frame the way that we talk through the rest of this passage in James chapter two. So at face value, this verse, verse 14, it doesn't seem like it's that spicy, that controversial. It doesn't seem like it might cause the whole book of James to be thrown out of the Bible. But when you lay it next to some of the other verses in the Bible, we can see why it might cause some people to ask some questions. For instance, Ephesians 2.8 says, for by grace, you are saved through faith. And this is not from yourself, it is God's gift. Romans 3.28 says, for we conclude that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Galatians 2, starting in verse 16 says, we know that no one receives God's perfect righteousness as a reward for keeping the law, but only by the faith of Jesus, the Messiah. His faithfulness has saved us and we have received God's perfect righteousness. Now we know that God accepts no one by the keeping of religious laws. So here we have to stop and ask this question. What is correct? What saves us? Is it living by faith or is it living by works? These are the questions that the original council who was putting the Bible had to wrestle with. 
These are the questions that theologians have wrestled with. And like I said, these are the questions that we're going to wrestle with together this morning so that we can live a faith that is genuine for the Lord. So let's look more closely at these three concepts and how they interact with one another. Let's start with salvation. Here at the end of verse 14, we see that James asks this question, can such a faith save you? And on the surface, what it seems like James is saying is that, why do you think that you can just have this faith without works? That's not gonna save you. Only works that are based off your faith can save you. But I don't think that's the claim that he's making at all. James knows where salvation is he comes from. He knows what saves you. And the truth of the gospel is that salvation begins and ends with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus did the work to die for us and he rose again so that we can live with him. Only he has the power to save us. Neither faith nor works can save us. So what was James getting at when he asked this question? I honestly think that he was being a little spicy. He was being a little bit sarcastic. He was addressing his audience in a way that I feel like I can relate to. He has a little sarcastic questions. I'm a little bit sarcastic. I think we can bond there, James and I. Um, but he's observing something about the people he's speaking to. So he's talking about two Jewish people who have converted to Christianity, who are followers of Christ. And he's observing this behavior that, he ha- that they have. And he's like, I know you guys are saying you have faith but there's no works to back it up. So what are you doing? Like he finds their behavior strange. He's like, do you think that this can save you? Is that why you're acting this way? Like I need an explanation for why this behavior is going down. He's not in any way, I don't think, saying that works, if you have works, that will save you. He's saying, what is this strange behavior that y'all are doing? This is not how you live out your faith. You live out your faith through works. And interestingly enough, those scriptures that we read earlier, the ones that Paul wrote referencing that we cannot be saved by our works, I think are not controversial at all. And the connection between them are not controversial at all. I think that Paul is saying the exact same thing that James is saying. He is calling out the way that people are viewing works and not just any works, but the works of the law. There was a problem when um, Paul first started to preach the Gentiles and he was sharing with them the message of Jesus because the Jewish Christian leaders who were leading the early church felt like the Gentiles should have to follow the letter of the Old Testament law to a T because that's what they were taught. That's what they were shown for how they live out their genuine faith. They follow the letter of the law and they do all these works of the law and then they're saved. And Paul was saying, you have not understood the redeeming work of Jesus if you think that these people have to live out these works because that is not what saves you. They were still operating from this place that they had to demonstrate their faith through actions that they could be justified through the actions of their works. And I think that we can both agree that we see both of these things at play in our church today. We see people who believe that I just need to say a lot of things, I can just talk with no substance, or people who believe I just need to do a lot of things and that will demonstrate my faith and then I will be good to go. And what we see here is that James and Paul are both trying to honestly call us all out and say, none of these things save you. This is not the way that salvation works. Salvation doesn't work by you just declaring faith and salvation doesn't work by you having these empty works that aren't based on your faith. They go together. So, like I said, here we have Paul saying that doing works that are not driven by faith will not save you. And James saying that, um, just saying that you have faith with no works will not save you. And I'm saying only Jesus saves you, that's it. His death and resurrection, that's the only thing that saves you. So what does all of this mean? How do they work together? And what is our part to play in it? 
I think it all comes down to this, that genuine faith comes from an understanding of our salvation. It comes from us understanding what our salvation really means. I will never forget the first time that I fully understood what Jesus had actually done for me. I was at a campus ministry gathering and the speaker said these words to me, I'll never forget them. He said, there is nothing that you can say and nothing that you can do to earn the love of God or to earn your salvation. I was shocked. I was stunned. My whole life I had grown up with this idea that the Bible was a list of things that you should really do and a list of things that you had better not ever do. And if you did enough of the things that you were supposed to do, then this cosmic salvation tank would fill up and it would like ding and like a green light would come on or something and God would be like, all right, Allie's good to go because she has lived out the works that she needs to do to be saved. And I share this with you because anytime we start to wrestle with these concepts of salvation and faith and works, we can get ourselves in trouble if we ever start to think that it's on us, that through our own works, through our own words, that we can earn our salvation. And if we believe that about God, we will never be able to enter into the kind of freedom and relationship and partnership with the kingdom that he has available to us this morning. Because our God is a God who gives freely. That's why he calls us his children. Because children should never have to earn the love and affection of a parent. So God gives the salvation and love freely to us. And this morning, if you have not accepted that, I'm here to tell you it's here for you. God has this gift, this free gift that he wants to give you. It's just like Paul said in that Ephesians verse that we just read. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. So God gives this freely. And through this free gift, he's inviting us into relationship with him. And what we know is that relationships are never one-sided, right? So even though we have been given this gift of salvation freely, this is where faith comes into play when we believe that God says who he is and we accept this gift of salvation. Now it becomes a relationship. So God gives us this gift. He offers it to us freely. And then we, through our faith, accept that gift. So now we have these two things working together with one another. Um, And then this is where James comes into play because even though we know that salvation cannot be earned, it should cause us to act. It should cause us to want to act when we step into this relationship with God. And in awe and amazement, we see how amazing this gift is freely given to us through our faith. That's where the works come in because it should call us to action. Just as we've experienced this love, we should want to share it with those around us. So let's read the rest of this passage from James to fully see how James is calling us into this work that comes from the faith and relationship that we have with God. So James chapter two, we're gonna pick it up in verse 15, which says, if a brother or sister is without clothes, you know, I'm actually gonna give you all a chance. Flip there and I'm gonna take a sip of water because I can feel it starting to dry out. I had never understood how preachers like seamlessly sip water. In the middle of sermons, I'm always like, when do you pause? When do you stop? It's the hardest part to learn. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, so um, verse 15. If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. 
Show me your faith without works, and I will show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one? Good. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. Senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works and offering Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works, and by works faith was made complete, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works and receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. So from these passages, I believe that James is trying to teach us something about how to live out this genuine faith. And I believe there are two main things that he wants to show us through this. And the first is this, that genuine faith calls us and equips us to move, to go. That is the first thing that James is trying to show us. So when we think about salvation, that first thing that Jesus did for us through his death and resurrection, we usually think about eternal life. We think about what happens after this, that after we die, God has given us this gift where we get to live forever with him. And while that is beautiful and wonderful, and it's a great reason to go out and move and share the gospel, Jesus is like, that's not the only thing that I am offering to you. I'm offering to you new life right now in this moment, the chance for you to become a new creation, for you to take on a burden that is light, that looks differently from the world, and for you to bring healing and transformation into the space you occupy right this moment. That is what salvation is about. Yes, it's about eternity, but it's also about right now and the things that God is trying to usher into this space, into our families, into our communities, through the movement of his spirit today. Now, for those of us who have accepted the gift of salvation, we have a job to do, not gonna lie to y'all. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul calls this the ministry of reconciliation. This is what we have been invited into. And so 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21 says this, from now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective, even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. Everything is, is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So God through Christ brought us to him through this gift of salvation. And now he has given us the mantle of his ministry to live out in the world. That is in Christ, verse 19, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed their message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. That's what we are in this room today, ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf to the world, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So now all of us, when we accept this gift of salvation, we believe in God, we believe who God says he is and we're ready to do this work, God says, okay, now you are my ambassadors, you are a new creation, go out and live this ministry of reconciliation. 
And in this passage of James, we see three different examples of James showing us how to live out these works, how to live out the faith that God has given to us. So first he shares a very practical example of what this can mean in verse 15 when he talks about living out this ministry of reconciliation. He's like, look, it's as simple as this. If you see someone and they clearly need some clothes and they clearly need some food, don't just say to them, I actually love, if y'all want to just have a chuckle about the church and just what we need to do to live out our faith, go read this passage of scripture in the message because I feel like James sarcasm really comes out in that translation and it is good for some fun and some conviction. But the way that he words it there is he says, if somebody asks for clothes and food, don't just say to them, be clothed in righteousness and filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what the message translation says, Um, which is just churchy words for like, go and deal with it yourself, right? That's what it's basically saying. Saying, be the hands and feet of Jesus. Give them some clothes. Give them some food. Show them what this ministry of reconciliation is like. Invite them to know who I actually am. Be my righteousness on the earth. Do these things so that people will actually understand who I am. Because out in the world, if you tell them to be filled with the Holy Spirit, they're like, what? I'm hungry. Like, what is this going to do for me? Are you kidding me? Like, who is Jesus? Doesn't sound like he's making my life any easier right now. Until we do this call of James, that's what's going to happen. And so you might be thinking, okay, Ali, like, sure, sure, sure. James is right. You might be right. Like, this sounds like an easy first step. I can probably start doing this work. But James knows, because of what he says to us here, that this is harder than it actually appears. Because let's play out a scenario that probably most of us are familiar with, right? Like, let's say we're out and about, and we see someone who clearly has some needs, Like, you can tell that they do. We know the people we're talking about. Or maybe it's even someone who doesn't appear to have needs, but you get this prompting in your spirit, and you're like, I know that they need something. I know that they do. But you, like, and you look at them, and you're like, they need clothes, they need food. Maybe that person needs, like, a lot more than clothes and food. I don't have any of that on me, like, on my person right now. So, like, if I don't have that in my back pocket, what should I do? Uh, Like, I think... The best approach is probably for me to just give them that little like polite half smile and just kind of like skirt on out of here. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I think that is the most natural reaction to us not being able to meet the needs of a person right in that moment. Or maybe we're like, okay, like it's better than nothing for me to tell them to be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Like that's good, right? And I do want to stop here and say, praying for people is good. Like telling them to be filled with the Holy Spirit is good. Don't hear me saying that either one of these things are not good and wonderful works that you can be doing in the world. But if underneath that is you trying to avoid the work that God is calling you to, it's empty. And it doesn't matter how many prayers you pray for this person because the Holy Spirit is convicting you to do more and you are not. So you are losing the power of your prayer in that moment because you're not actually doing the work that God is calling you to. So why is this so hard for us? Because when push comes to shove, if we're put in this position where we don't have anything on us, but we feel God is calling us to do something, we're going to lose something. We're going to have to give something up. It might be time. It might be resources. It might be energy. Or it might be a combination of all three. This is really hard work. And from what I have seen, it is hard work because of one of two things. We're either believing a lie about who God says he is or a lie about who God says we are. 
We're thinking, okay, Lord, if I do this, if I step out on this water, if I do these works, I don't believe that you're gonna provide for me. I don't believe that you're gonna be there for me. I don't believe that you're gonna meet my needs when I try to meet this other person's needs. I don't believe that I have enough. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough resources. I'm not smart enough. I don't know enough. I am not enough for this. And when we start to believe these lies, we lose something. And James talks about it right here in verse 17. He says, in the same way, faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. And what James is not saying, again, if we go back to our little chart, James is not saying that if you don't have works, it cancels out the salvation that God has extended to you. Remember that. Works do not equal salvation from the Lord. What James is saying is that if your faith has no works, it's giving, it's showing, it's enlightening us to a condition of your, of your heart and your relationship with the Lord, that maybe something isn't right there. Something's off. Something is dead. Something is not working the way that it's supposed to be because there would be works if your faith was fully activated. So you are not receiving something about the truth of salvation over your life if your faith is not leading to works. If you're believing these lies that the enemy is declaring over you, you have not fully stepped into the faith in the relationship in the salvation that God has for you to do this work that he's called us to do. And he goes even further in verse 18 to demonstrate this to us by saying, and I feel like this little section of scripture is kind of confusing, so I'm gonna say it like this. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. What he's saying there is he's like quoting someone that's like, okay, James, I hear you, right? Like, if my faith doesn't have works, it's not real. How about this? I'll have the faith, you have the works, and together we'll divide and conquer this bad boy and everyone will know the Lord. And James is like, that silliness is essentially what he's saying with this next part. He says, show me your faith without works. Like, show it to me. And he says, I will show you my faith by works. James is saying these things cannot be split up. They are not mutually exclusive. Your faith, if there's no works, is dead. It's showing that you don't actually have this relationship with the Lord where you trust him enough that even if you have to sacrifice something, you're gonna get it all back tenfold because that's how the kingdom currency works. You're missing something. <clears throat> but he's also saying you can't just do works because if you do works, they're not fueled by faith and you're just trying to earn something by getting attention from the world. These things cannot be separated. They all have to work together. And since we're new creations, James is saying that the way that we should operate in the world is that we should look different. If we are still believing that we can do faith or works separately, we have not experienced this new creation life that God has called us to, and we're still trying to live in some part of our dead ways that we were supposed to have said goodbye to when we accepted Jesus. We're still walking that out, and nothing has changed. We're not living this ministry of reconciliation. And James really nails this point home in verse 19. I think he might go a little bit far here, but you know, this is what he says, so we have to wrestle with it. He says, look, if you keep, if you're insisting, if you wanna keep insisting on this whole faith argument that you have faith and that's good enough, well, guess what? You're not special, so the demons say the same thing. That's what I like hear James literally say to me, you ain't special. You think that your faith is like good enough for this? That demons are, that is their bar, is belief. That is their bar, is knowing that there's a God. That cannot be our bar because we are new creations. But ultimately what I feel like James is saying is this is hard work. Like underneath all of this, he's saying, 
that you're gonna have to wrestle with this because it's easy to believe the lies of the world that we are not enough, that we are not equipped enough, that we do not have enough, that God is not enough to fill in the gaps of the things that we're gonna have to give up to do these works. So what do we do? How do we do this? This is why I believe genuine faith not only calls us to move, but it equips us to move. Philippians 1.6 says this, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Just like salvation is not earned in our own strength, these good works should not be done in our own strength. We cannot do them. If we're trying to do them on our own or if we're not believing that we can do them, it's because of that piece that James is saying. We're lacking the faith to believe that God will do it. Think about any time James, not James, Jesus heals someone He heals them and he says, get up, your faith has saved you. You're healed, your faith has saved you. It's this faith and believing that God can do what he said he was going to do in and through us that will allow us to do this work. So anytime we're we're questioning and we're believing these lies that the world declares over us that God's not gonna provide for us or that we don't have enough, it's because we're not believing that God will do it. We're still trying to do it in our own strength and it's never gonna work out that way. So we don't have to do the work in our own strength, but we do have to have the faith that God will do the work through us. And when we believe that, we have to act. We have to actually do it. And I can tell you right now that if you go on this faith journey with the Lord, it is gonna be hard. So the only way that we're actually going to be able to live out this faith is just to do it, is to go out and to live these works and see how God moves which it brings me to the second thing that I think James is trying to teach us, which is good works increases our genuine faith. So just like, our, um, just like we can only be equipped to do work through faith, our good works also increases our faith. So we've established that this is really, really difficult, right? It's hard work to give things up, to trust God, to move and walk in this way. But the beautiful thing about this salvation and faith and work cycle is that they all fuel one another so that we can do this work that God has called us to do. So let's look at these last two stories in the book of James, in James chapter two, to see how James is sharing with us that good works can actually increase our faith and and allow us to live out this work. So first, Abraham. Remember what it said in verses 21 through 22. Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works and offering Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works and by works, faith was made complete. Now, some background on Abraham for those of you that don't know. He was called by God to be the father of the Jewish nation. So God came to him, he called him out of his land and he said, come on this journey with me, get in the boat with me, Abraham. We're going on this really big excursion together and it's gonna take a lot from you, but you're gonna see a lot happen. And I'm going to make you the father of many nations and your descendants will outnumber um, the stars in the sky. And Abraham's like, look, I am old. My wife is old. We are never gonna have a kid. And God's like, no, 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 trust me, you will. And Abraham believed him and that was credit to him. And that kind of started his faith journey. And so then God did bless him with his son and his name was Isaac. But not soon after Isaac was born, I mean, he was still a child when this happened. Abraham, or not Abraham, God called Abraham to sacrifice his son, the one that is supposed to fulfill all of the promises of God and the Jewish people on an altar. Now, I mean, if it were me, I would be like, what? 
Like, we were already old. Like, this was already a miracle. You gonna do that again? Like, what's going on here? Like, why would you ask me to sacrifice my son? And everything that we've been learning about the nature and the, the goodness of God and how he sends this gift for us seems contrary to what God is doing in this story of the Bible, that he would ever ask someone to sacrifice their son on an altar, their only son that was a good gift from the Lord. It doesn't really make sense. But when we look at the story in Genesis 22, we can see that to Abraham, it did make sense because he knew the nature of God. He had seen the good works of God. He had seen what God had done in his life again and again. When he stepped out, when he left his land, when he followed the Lord, when he believed God that he would have a son, he saw a God that answered promises, a God that he walked with, that he knew the character of. And so in this story, um, in Genesis 22, Abraham calls two men to come with him and Isaac to go to the place where he was gonna sacrifice him. And he, we see him tell the men, he's like, y'all just wait here. We're both gonna be back soon. It's like, why would he say that if he thought he was gonna kill his son or sacrifice his son? And then as Isaac and Abraham are walking up to the place where he's gonna be sacrificed, Isaac asked his dad, I see we have all of the things here that we need for a sacrifice. I don't know what those things might be. I mean, it says in scripture, but it's just a funny thing for a kid to know. I think that we have all the things we need for a sacrifice, but where is the lamb? And God says, don't, or not God, sorry, lots of names in this story. Abraham says, don't worry, God is going to provide the sacrifice for us. He knows, he's not sure how, he's not sure when or why, but he knows because of the nature of God that God is going to provide for them in this moment. And when they get up to the top and Abraham is about to sacrifice his son, Isaac, an angel of the Lord stops him and says this, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your only son from me. And then Abraham looked up and there in a bush was a ram, just like he knew God would provide. So God stopped him from doing this thing that he knew would happen. And then he even provided the sacrifice that he needed. Abraham had this, Abraham is credited all throughout the New Testament for having this genuine faith, for being a man who lived this faithful life. And I believe it's because he stepped out and did the works that God called him to over and over and over. And so he knew the nature of God. The works that he did for the Lord fueled his faith and allowed him to do the work that ultimately foretold the sacrifice of Jesus. When he did this, he gave us insight into what God was going to do for all of us because he had the faith to fuel his works and the works that he did fueled his faith. Isn't that incredible? Next, we see this story of Rahab, who James talks about in verse 25. And Rahab was a known prostitute, not someone who you might think is at the top of the list of like the top faithful followers of the Lord, but we see her time and time again credited in scripture for being someone who was faithful in the things that God called her to do. So again, little background here on Rahab. Joshua is going to take the promised land. Um, Moses has passed away, and now Joshua is about to step into his calling to take the promised land. But before he does that, he sends two spies in the city of Jericho to see what it's like there, to get a lay of the land. And they hide out in Rahab's home. And then when the ruler of Jericho comes and asks her about it, he's like, hey, I know those spies are here. You have them. Where are they? And she like, decides to side on the way of the spies and she covers for them and she hides them and she says, nope, they're not here. They left a different way. And when she goes to the spies later, she explains to them why she did this, why she turned against her own people and decided to hide these spies. And she says this in Joshua 2, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that the terror of you has fallen on us 
and everyone who lives in the land is panicking because of you. For we have heard now, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sion and Og, and the two Amorite kings you completely destroyed across the Jordan. When we heard this, we lost heart, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Rahab had faith in God to live out these works because she had heard of the way he had moved before. She knew God's reputation as being someone who does what he says he is going to do. So when she decided to hide them, she said, I know that this is in good faith because I've seen the Lord work before. But she did ask for one thing. She said, I have hid you. Please save my family. So they said, okay, when we come in, we take the city of Jericho, put all of your family in this room, hang this red rope out of the window, and we will save your family. And they did. How incredible is that? So not only did Rahab trust that God was going to do and act on it, but how much more do you think that her faith and the faith of her family was increased because of this work that she did? And ultimately, she paved the way for the Israelites to step into the promises of God all because she knew God's reputation, she trusted him, she believed him, and then she acted on it. And then that work that she did fueled the faith of her family and generations to come. We're still talking about her faith today because of how she trusted God. So the only way, and I know this is scary, but the only way that you can grow your faith enough to keep living for him is to do it, is to walk out a work of the Lord and see how he shows you that what you believe about his character and you believe about what he's gonna do is true and it's real. That is what you will experience. And the incredible thing about this life that God has called us to is that when we step out, when we sacrifice, he is always going to provide. On the other side of what we feel like is loss or more bondage, he is giving us freedom in new ways that we never thought that we would experience. And it might look different than you thought it would. It might be different than you thought, but God's promises and the way that he is going to do this ministry of reconciliation on the earth through us is always better than anything that we could have imagined. Um, the band can go ahead and come on up if y'all are in here. Um, but just like Ben talked about at Pentecost last week, God has called you, you uniquely, to do a good work on this earth in this season through him to do this ministry of reconciliation. Now, the story of Esther is one of my favorite stories of faith. If I start crying, forgive me. My daughter is named, her middle name is Esther because of how just strongly I resonate with this story of faith. But in it, Queen Esther has the opportunity to save her people, but it will require her to bravely go before the king when she wasn't summoned, which sounds little to us. But just by stepping into the room and asking for an audience with the king, she could be killed right then and there before she even has a chance to do the work that God has called her to. And in Esther 4, her cousin is trying to encourage her to step into this work. He's trying to show her why it is good for her to do the works that God has called her to. And he says this in verse 13, don't think that you will escape the fate of all of the Jews because you are in the king's palace. If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place, but you and your father's family will be destroyed. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Esther was positioned in a place of influence and authority in a God-ordained time to serve the Lord and do this ministry of reconciliation for a specific time and people. And just like her cousin says, he's like, look, 
If you don't do this, God's work is gonna happen. Like God's gonna do what he's gonna do, but it might not be the way that it was meant to be if you do not step into your calling. So what are we missing here in this church, in this community? What is the city of Marietta missing? What are your families missing? What is your circle of influence missing? If you do not step into your such a time as this works and live out your faith through the ministry of reconciliation that God has called you to, will you let the fear of the unknown stop you from doing these works? Will you let the lies that the enemy is declaring over you about who God is and who you are stop you from doing this works? Or will you get in the boat one more time, despite your fears, and go on a crazy adventure with the Lord where you get to usher in the kingdom? Now, we're about to enter into a time of communion and a time of reflection. And I just wanna ask you a couple of questions as we're about to enter into this time. First, I just wanna ask you this. If you haven't accepted that first thing, if you do not know the Lord, if you have not accepted that gift of salvation, if you have never received the free gift of love that the Lord is extending to you this morning, I wanna invite you, come talk to the prayer team, come talk to me, because we'd love to just tell you about the freedom that there is in Christ and what he is extending to you. Second, if you have accepted that and something is holding you back, something is keeping you from getting into that boat, something is telling you it's safe on the dock, just keep saying the right words, doing the right things, walking out the right steps, but you're terrified to actually take the steps that the Lord has called you to, ask God why that is. Ask him what lies you're believing about yourself or about who he is that are keeping you from stepping and living out your faith in doing these works. If you're just ready, if you're like, Lord, I am ready, I'm ready to go. Like I am ready to live out the kingdom calling that the Lord has on my life and do that work this morning, but I don't know how and I don't know when and I don't know where, you're in the right place because we're all about awakening and living out kingdom dreams here. So if you have a dream that you're just ready to go with, but you don't know how to do it or you wanna do it in community, come talk to me or talk to someone on our staff because we want to help equip you to do this good work that God has called you to, to live out your genuine faith through the works that God has given you. So finally, I just encourage you, just pray. Pray for imagination. Pray for God to show you the kinds of the ministry of reconciliation that he wants to do in and through you so that you can begin to get his kingdom vision for what he wants to do here on the earth. All right, so we're gonna go ahead and take communion. There are stations on each side and in the back. Just encourage you, if any of that resonated with you, come find me, go see a member of our prayer team and just ask the Lord what he's calling you to do this week.